Welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast, a podcast where three dads get together and we make stuff up about how incredible we are at parenting. Not really, but I'm Chris Roselli. I'm Mark Bagley. And I'm Nathan Dwyer. And this week we talk about how to react when your kids make mistakes and when they run into problems. We're glad you're here. Stick around. Would you believe me if I told you that by the time this episode comes out, we will have been six months from the first time we released our first episode? No way. That's awesome. That's amazing. That also means that we've been like riding through this pandemic for a really long time now. So what's your reaction to uh, doing this for six months? And that's six months of being on the air. We did spend a month or two figuring this out and making sure it was going to work. Well, Nathan, I got to say, I, I can't believe it's lasted this long. I, I I think that we had great enthusiasm at the beginning, didn't really know what we were doing or why we were doing it or how we were doing it. And I just think that uh, I'm very happy and impressed that we've gone this long. And I, ho- I hope it continues. I hope that people are enjoying it. I know I am. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot about myself and a lot about my parenting good traits and bad traits. Yeah, I don't think I would have ever guessed that I would reflect upon my own parenting as much as I do thanks to this podcast. We are not giving the right answers for everyone. We're just basically reflecting and sharing with what we did as an as an option for other parents. And I think that when I realized, and maybe this is because of you, Nathan, that, you know, we are, we're not here to give expert advice. We are here to share our mistakes, our failures and our successes. And that's when I think it started to click for me. Yeah. And I think we've tried to point people to the experts, whether it's the articles and books that we link in the show notes or the guests that we bring on. I think that provides the perspective and then we can talk about what's worked for us. So in honor of the six month anniversary on our Facebook page, we did post a chart that shows all of the last 25 episodes and shows all of the guests and all of the topics and all the things we covered on Whatcom Dads Recommend. So if you're a newer listener and you haven't caught some of the back episodes, it's a great place to go and check out. Say, oh, well, that might be something that I'm dealing with or would need information on. So go ahead and check out our Whatcom Dads podcast Facebook page and find that chart on there for our past episodes. And man, we are lucky to have so many really great experts in our community that we can draw on to be able to come into this podcast and help us out. They've been really great. The other thing I've shared with you is we've had a couple listeners reach out and ask us for some additional resources, particularly along the topic of just connecting with other dads and trying to kind of break into the dad scene, so to speak, especially if people are new and have moved here. In addition to that uh, Facebook page, we also started a Whatcom Dads podcast Facebook group. So feel free to join that as well. And that can maybe be a place where dads can connect. And this is a hard community. I know we've talked about this. It can be a hard community to break into. Uh, A lot of times there's a lot of folks who've already got well-established groups of friends. And uh, it's a very polite and kind community, but uh, 
it's just a difficult community to be able to find a good circle of friends, especially if you have young kids, I think, you know, I think as the kids get older and you start meeting, you know, your kids, friends, parents at school or things like that, or through activities, then that, that circle starts to grow. But uh, I think if you're new here and uh, your kids are young, I think it can feel pretty isolating. I totally agree. It was really hard for us to break in to Bellingham and Whatcom County and what was it called, Chris? The Seattle Freeze or the Northwest Freeze or something? Yeah, yeah, Northwest Nice or yeah, yeah, the Bellingham Freeze, Seattle Freeze. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a real thing. And so Nathan, you know, if we could do something as uh, as the Three Musketeers of the Whatcom Dads podcast to encourage people maybe to come out and have a beer with us or something, that might be that might be fun just to meet other dads and and give a platform. So we had a week off. So if we think back to the last time we were together, we were talking to uh, Reed Fredericks from Wiku. And uh, the thing that I thought of when I listened back to that episode was during the pandemic, I just haven't been going to the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. I've availed myself more of these being able to deposit a check with your phone and doing the online stuff. I listened back. Uh, and one thing I, I was reflecting on was a question that we asked Reed about investing and investments and if there's classes for kids. That's one thing that I'm not good at. I'm good with money. I'm good with budgeting. I'm good with bill paying, but I'm not good with investments. And I've just kind of turned over my retirement plan to whoever manages it and, you know, hope for the best. But it's been great because Allie has started to do some investing on her own and has really taken an interest into learning about it and what it is and what it means and rates of return and and it's it's been really satisfying to see her kind of branch out and do something that I've never, ever, ever been comfortable doing myself. What do you think sparked that, Mark? I mean, obviously, I know you've mentioned that she's always been really in, driven by earning money. Do you think there's something you said along the way that might have helped plant a seed? I think she realized when she was getting, what, 0.02% return on her money that maybe she could do better. And so she talked to a couple of friends who were doing some investing and she just has kind of dipped her, dipped her toe in the pool and she's kind of going after it. And she's really proud to call me and tell me her quarterly returns and how she's doing. So it's, it's been something definitely she's done on her own, but uh, um, I'm, I'm really proud of her for doing that. That's cool. Well, she's 24, right, Mark? She is 24, yes. Can you guys imagine if we had started socking money away at age 24? Well, Nathan, what I wanted to say on the podcast with uh, with Reed is that I remember going to the bank with my dad back in the 80s when interest rates were like 16% and taking my little book, we called it a passbook, and going up to the counter and the lines were always really long and they would stick the book in the little machine and would come out and I would have all this huge amount of interest on my money because the rates were out of control. And so that's when I realized, (laughs) wow, this saving thing is really great because I'm doing nothing and I'm making bank. And our audio had a little glitch. You said 16%, like one six. Yeah. Between 16 and 18% interest rates. Yes. Good gosh. I guess the flip side of that is your parents' mortgage was at much higher rates. <laughs> well, yeah, luckily they didn't they did not have an adjustable mortgage, but yeah, interest rates were interest rates were twenty percent on home loans at the time. Jeez. Yeah, whole different time. 
You know, the other thing that stood out for me from Reed was when he said, what does savings teach and why is it important is that whole concept of delayed gratification. Yeah. I think there's so many things that with a kid and just teaching them, uh, you know, the ability to wait. And uh, I think that is one of the things that maybe is missed in our sort of instantaneous internet ask and you get right away world. So I really appreciate it. He pointed that out. And for me, uh, I agree with you, Dwyer. And for me also with our kids, um, teaching them the concept of money to help them understand things that they need versus what they want. And then it also allows them to determine how badly do they want something. So Alyssa right now wants slides, which are, you, you know, those, those, it's, they're flip-flops, but your feet slide all the way into them, so they cradle your whole foot. So soccer players all have them. And she wants some for basketball. And so she had mentioned, I really want to get some slides, Dad. And I said, okay, well, sure. You know, we'll go to Dick's. I think they're, I think they're like $25. You can get them. You've, you've been earning money. And all of a sudden, she doesn't want slides as badly as uh, she originally did because she realized, well, wait a minute. Okay, I know how hard I worked to get $25. If I'm going to spend $25, is this really going to be – what I want to spend that money on. So I think that that's another valuable lesson learned there too. And then the other lesson that comes on top of that is you pull out your $25 that you made when you're mowing lawns. And then all of a sudden it actually costs $27 and 25 cents because you don't have any concept <laughs> of sales tax. Totally. So true. Your life can change in an instant. Car accidents impact all aspects of your life and lead to pain and suffering, medical bills, and time missed from work. Robinson & Cole, attorneys in Bellingham, can help. They have represented thousands of clients since 1979. They also handle other types of injury claims, including workers' compensation. Consultations are always free and are available in Spanish. Robinson & Cole, when you need us, we will be here. Well, once again, I've come up with a game for us to play. And this was an idea I had the other day when driving along in my car with the windows down, singing along to the radio, and I pull up to a stoplight and someone pulls up next to me and they have their windows down and I'm singing along to share. And so it got me thinking about my musical tastes and I came up with this thought experiment. We'll call it the uh, Desert Island Music Experiment. If you were stranded on a desert island, and you could choose only three artists or bands, and you get their entire catalog to listen to for the rest of time, what music would you bring with you on your iPod shuffle? <laughs> so uh, I've had more time to think about this than you guys, so I'll go first. Well, I, I hope your first one is not share. It is not you share. Believe in love after love. And and in all fairness, Cher was on the radio, so it wasn't like I had a Cher playlist while I was going down the street. Thanks, Cafe 104.1. So this is sort of a tough thought experiment, because on the one hand, you have to balance like good music, but on the other hand, you don't want to choose an artist who only has like two albums, or maybe albums that only have one or two good songs on each album. For my first pick, I'm going to choose U2, and because that is one of my favorite bands and because of the longevity, I think there's plenty of albums, plenty of different styles of music there. Anything pop into mind for you guys? I would say, well, the first of my three off the top of my head would be Led Zeppelin. Ooh, that's a good one. 
Just you have the box set one, two, three, and four. Uh, Chris, I have the albums one, two, three, and four on vinyl. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> that I got when I was, you know, they're originals that I bought. Amazing. With, did you use your 16% interest to buy those? <laughs> you know, I might have, but, you know, I would go to the bank. The bank was Kitty Corner from Music Plus. I don't know if you had if you had Music Pluses up here, but that was like uh, where, Warehouse Records. Do you have those up here? Sam Goody. Kind of, yeah. yeah I guess it's, so, Sam Goody. Yeah. So Music Plus, I would go in and the albums were like $6.99 or $7.99 or $8.99. And that was a big investment to buy an album. That was a big deal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I will say um, I'll do ACDC. I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna predict you were gonna say that. <laughs> I mean, you've got Brian Johnson, so you have you know Back in Black and newer, and then you also have I can't remember it was a Bon Scott. Is that the old uh, original singer? Um, anyway, so you got two different kind of bands, really, even though because you had two different lead singers, but awesome music. So I would do ACDC. All right, the second one I came up with uh, is just a pick because it's basically all we listened to in college, and that would be the Dave Matthews Band. And I think the thing you get there is you could get like a hundred different live albums that were recorded and bootlegged <laughs> in, in the mid '90s from all over the country. So uh, Dave Matthews Band, I think, would be the second artist in my rotation. There you go. That's a good pick. And so since you've had the benefit of time to think about this, and I've had the benefit of two and a half minutes to think of it, uh, the second pick is a little different from Led Zeppelin. And I don't even know why I'm choosing this artist as my second pick. But I'm going to say... Millie Vanilli. Mariah Carey. Michael Jackson. Ah, that's good. That's really good. Just because it's fun and it's pop and it's upbeat and you can dance to it and sing to it. And if I'm on a desert island, I don't mind singing and dancing because no one's seeing me. Totally. Chris? Well, uh, I'm not kidding you. That's exactly what I was going to say. No way. Mm -hmm. So Michael Jackson, uh, he had a number one hit for five straight decades in a row. Might be six, but I know five. I'm for, I'm for certain five. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. He had a number one hit. So, so can, can we can we include the Jackson Five with the Michael Jackson collection? I think so. I, w- I would. I w- I'd argue we could see, and that's Christmas album there too, right? I mean, you got Santa Claus is coming to town, so you you are going to be on your desert island listening to Christmas music, and then you can also listen to Beat It in August. So there you have it. And you're with me because you're you're on the adjacent desert island, listening to the exact <laughs> practicing our moonwalk in the sand. <laughs> Who's your third, Dwyer? All right. So this one was the toughest for me. And uh, I, I weighed a lot of different things, but I ultimately landed at Garth Brooks. I think Ooh, there's yeah. just a solid catalog. And I'm not like super country Western guy, but he just has a lot of different upbeat songs, slow songs, spans decades. So Chris, since I took yours last time, why don't you go first in this last round and give me a second to think of my third one well and i'll and i'll say exactly what you said i mean i only have a few minutes here to think of them so these are really the three bands that immediately came off the top to to my head right so 
ACDC and Michael Jackson. And then Huey Lewis jumped out, but I'm like, yeah, that's just a few songs. I love Huey Lewis, but the one that just keeps jumping out at me is actually Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So uh, to have Tom Petty, I think would be, uh, would be pretty good. So there you have it. Yeah. Tom Petty. That's really good. That's really, really good. Um, my third one, of course, you know me. Whenever we play these games, I got to pick an extra. <laughs> my toss-up is between the Rolling Stones and Stevie Wonder. Ooh. And I think I would lean towards Stevie Wonder. Because you listen to his early, early stuff when he was just like a 12-year-old, and he's got an amazing album when he was just a kid that's a live album. And just what he's been able to do over his career. By the way, Stevie Wonder Radio on like uh, Pandora or Amazon Music. It is one of our favorite stations to listen to. It's just, it's feel good music. It's upbeat. It's great music. Well, listeners, if we overlooked someone that uh, we clearly should have included, or you have different music tastes, we'd love to hear from you. So for our parenting topic this week, I took a little different approach. I gave my co-hosts homework. I gave them a book chapter to read. And it was from the book that I'm currently reading. It's on my bedside. Now I'm going to admit my goal was to have this book finished in March. Today it's May 2nd and I'm on chapter eight. But nonetheless, I'm in the middle of Barbara Colorosso's book entitled Kids Are Worth It, Giving Your Child the Gift of Inner Discipline. And so what I did is I gave Chris and Mark uh, chapter eight in the book, which is entitled Reacting When Your Kids Make Mistakes and Have Problems. And I thought it was an interesting read because it sort of provided maybe a middle ground or alternative for dealing with your kids when something goes wrong. It provided a lot of good hypotheticals. And I think, you know, In this day and age, we all love our kids. We all want the best for our kids. But how we react in problematic times or when they make mistakes can really go a long way towards teaching them about being resilient and self-reliant and independent. I know that we've talked, uh, just the three of us off the air in the past, about uh, in the university setting, both of you encounter 18, 19-year-olds who are still having their parents intervene on their behalf and how that really is uh, difficult for both professors and administrators in a university setting. I think that uh, the term helicopter parent actually came about in the 90s from, I think, folks working in colleges because they were having uh, such trouble dealing with parents trying to uh, take care of their children's problems, even when the children were in college. Well, I know this will uh, come as a shock to you, Nathan, and, and some of our hardcore listeners, but I think. Barbara Coloroso um, got a lot of things wrong. Interesting. And I also want to say that the term helicopter parents did not come about in the 90s with the admissions counselors. There were helicopter parents when I was growing up in the late 60s and early 70s. The difference was the helicopter parents of that time were like Vietnam War helicopter pilots where they would fly in drop the kids off and fly away and say, you're on your own, figure it out. And and now the helicopter parent, right, just hovers. That's the whole now they just hover 
totally different. Yes. yes. Different kind. So just so the listeners who, if they haven't heard that term, I think that the way that it's commonly used in a parenting setting is a helicopter parent would be someone who, as Chris said, hovers around, tries to oversee all aspects of the child's life, pays really close attention to what the child is doing and their problems, maybe is a bit overly protective, and at the first sign of trouble, swoops in and tries to rescue the kid from anything that's going wrong. And Nathan, you also um, referred to lawnmower parents. And those are the parents that just cut everything out of the way for their kids and smooth the path so the kids don't have to deal with any adversity. That's right. They knock it all down because they fear what might happen if an adverse situation presents itself. And it's, it's gotten so bad. And you talked a little bit about you know 18 and 19-year-olds having their parents call their college professors. I heard just recently uh, about a, a national company who had to have, um, let's call it a back-to-school night with the parents of their new hires. So these were young professionals in their early to mid-20s getting their first real job in corporate America. And this company had a session with those brand new employees' parents letting those parents know what the work life was going to be for their children, including long hours and and odd hours, and that their life might be difficult for the first couple of years because they will be asked to do a lot more than they ever have done, um, been asked to do before. And they had to have a session with the parents so the parents would not start calling the human resources office asking why little Johnny was working until 10 o'clock at night. That is ridiculous. I totally agree. Which, listeners, that is why you need to help make sure that you have self-reliant children. That is, that is, that's so frustrating to me to hear that. That's insane. I was shocked. I was shocked. So I think the overarching thing that was in the the book chapter and in some of the articles and things I've looked at is that it's okay to let your kids fail. Mistakes are a time to learn. I heard someone recently say like, I was in theater and we had rehearsals because that's when you make the mistakes. And if you make it in a rehearsal, then you don't make it again. And so I feel like preventing your child from failing so long as caveat being, if it's not life-threatening, if it's not completely illegal against the law, but just letting your kids fail and learn from it is like 80% of this. Yeah. And no parent loves to see their kid fail. Like, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's terrible to see that, but you're right. The rewards are so worth it. Right. Because that, that, that's life. I mean, you, none of us are successful all the time. We all make mistakes and you learn from those mistakes. I, I think we all want the best for our kids. And it's just a balancing act of, you know, this unconditional love that we have for them. But being able to like put that instinct to step in and intervene on hold or on check to then allow them to own up to their problem, not make excuses, brainstorm some solutions, evaluate the solutions, and then act. And I think if your kids can start to do that first with your help and then on their own, they're going to be so much better prepared to step out into the real world. And, and this Barbara Coloroso talks about brick wall parents and jellyfish parents and backbone parents. And, I, and to me, what I didn't like about what she wrote is that I think that those are um, 
those are two, three, those are three very strict definitions. And I think yeah. that a lot, I think I fell within somewhere between those three. I so agree. I, I didn't like, I didn't like the definitions that she gave and how I felt she was trying to put all parents into one of those three categories. Yeah. Like one of the examples about how a parent backs over a kid's bike because the kid left in the driveway. And she said that the brick wall parent will say, well, you left your bike out in the driveway and that's why I ran over it. And so you don't have a bike anymore. And I don't think that that's the right way to go. But then the jellyfish parent says, I'm so sorry. I, I, I ran over your bike and I should have been looking, you know, my, my mistake. And it's like, well, that doesn't teach a, a, a child any, um, what am I looking for? What's the word? Uh, it doesn't teach them responsibility? to be responsibility. Yeah, sure. It doesn't teach them any responsibility. Yeah, there's no consequences for your actions. It's all of a sudden it's mom's fault. So there's there needs to be, I think, a little bit of a combo of both, you know, of like, hey, I'm really sorry. I ran over your bike. I should have looked, but I'm also not looking for a bike behind my car either, right? You should have put it away. So sorry, you don't have a bike anymore. And you guys didn't have the context of the other chapters where she talked about that, but her argument is take that middle ground, which is what she calls the backbone parent. So okay. if if you can develop sort of the intuition of, okay, there are some instances where I might need to be more towards the brick wall parent. And there's some instances where I might need to be more towards the jellyfish. But if you sort of read the situation, use your intu intuition and tailor it to your particular kid, I think reaching that middle ground as she identifies it is going to probably serve your child the best. Yeah. Right. And, and I like, you, know, you don't say to your kid, you're an idiot for doing that. Or you don't say to one child, boy, your sister never made that mistake. What's wrong with you? And those are right. terrible parenting um, strategies, in my opinion. But ultimately, I agree with you, Chris. Sometimes sometimes it is the kid's fault. And sometimes they did mess up. And sometimes they just need to own that. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And that's Absolutely. how, and I feel like that's how I parented. And whether it was good or bad, um, you know, it, it just kind of worked and you got, you got to read the room, right? I mean, I right. think all of us in every circumstance, you got to read the room. Well, and even though we want to be as proactive as possible, as Nathan was saying earlier, before we started, when we started the segment is so much of parenting is reacting to things that have happened. And we have to be really mindful of how we do that. And I loved a, uh, a sentence she wrote and it said, parenting is neither an efficient profession nor a popularity contest. And there is, it, and we live very crazy busy lives. And there is, when you're reacting, you have to take a step back and slow down and realize, okay, this is a learning moment here. How can we make this something that can stick for our kids? And to bring this back to our talk about the helicopter parents, using the Barbara Coloroso language, they would sort of be the jellyfish parents who anytime there's a mistake, the parent comes up with an excuse, you know, oh, you got a C on your paper. Well, that teacher must not like you or, oh, you didn't get picked for the team. Well, that coach, you know, wasn't being fair. I think parents who make excuses for their children's failures, not only don't help them, but actually are, that's to the children's detriment down the road. No doubt that's about right. it. Amen. I think my favorite quote from that chapter was uh, she wrote, this is how you can, when she was talking about dealing with young kids and when there's a, a problem or mistake, you say to them, all right, you have a problem. I know you can handle it. I'm not here to rescue you. I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to help you, encourage you and support you in dealing with it. Now, when Absolutely. my son, 
when my son spilled water for the fourth time this weekend on the floor this morning, it was pretty hard to say, hey, <laughs> son, I see you have a problem. So <laughs> the hardwood floor is all wet again. I know you can handle it. But in that instance, in fact, he could handle it. He, he had to look for me for some help, but you know, that's a simple one, but just kind of approaching it as opposed to saying, you know what, son, I, that, that sink is really far away and you've got to stand on that stool. So I'm going to f- build you a ladder so you can get your water. And it's, it's my fault, not yours. That would be one extreme. And the other extreme would be like, Hey, get out of the kitchen. I don't want you in here. You know, I think those are the two extremes. Yeah, Definitely. Well, and kudos to Amy, because even before reading this chapter, one thing that Amy is so good at doing always is when something happens, whatever it might be, if a, if a glass shatters and the kids look at us like, what do I do? Amy's response always is, oh, all right, well, it looks like we've got an issue here. What are you going to do to solve the problem? And Immediately, you just see their wheels turning on how they're going to figure it out themselves. And of course, we're there and they know that. But Amy, for boy, since day one of being a parent, I feel like she's asked the kids to to sort of help problem solve on their own um, instead of us always doing things for them, which is certainly not the most efficient way to do things for sure. And then there's that whole nature versus nurture argument. And when I was growing up, if there was spilt milk at the dinner table, that was the worst thing that could happen. Same. And yeah. it was it was my mom because I think growing up, milk was a big deal and you didn't want to waste anything. And I think that she got in trouble or her, she and her siblings got in trouble if milk was spilled. So when milk was spilled at our kitchen table, it was a big, big deal deal and it really changed the whole tone of the evening and I found myself at the beginning when that happened in our house I was doing the exact same thing and I had to realize boy that's that has stuck with me and kind of traumatized me I don't want that to traumatize my children and it was probably too late by the time I realized that (laughs) but I but I had to really think about it and stop reacting the way that um, was a reaction that I received as a child from my mom Right. I mean, you've just spent all day working. Now you finally got dinner going, craziness with the kids, and you finally get this brief moment to sit down and relax and enjoy a meal with your family and your kid spills milk all over everything. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I hear I'm with you, Mark. I've, I've lost my temper plenty of times in the past when they've spilled stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's just milk. It's it's don't cry over spilled milk, milk, right? <laughs> right. Well, if I could really quickly, I will read one little couple sentences, if you don't mind, Nathan. Uh, If we, as parents, accept that problems are an essential part of life's challenges rather than reacting to every problem as if something has gone wrong with a universe that's supposed to be perfect, we can demonstrate serenity and confidence in problem solving for our kids. We can teach them that no problem is so great that it can't be solved. And by telling them that we know they have a problem and we know that they can solve it, we can pass on a realistic attitude as well as empower our children with self-confidence and a sense of their own worth. I loved that finishing bit that she did. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Right. And, and, and then when they do get 
out on their own, then they are able and willing to fix those problems on their own. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, as parents, what you strive to do. When Absolutely. You, when, the, when, the, when the baby birds are pushed out of the nest, they need to fly. And that's what our jobs are as parents, right? When you set your kids free, they need to be able to figure it out on their own. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's again, kids learn by watching us. So when we make mistakes, if we admit them, they're going to feel more freely to admit their own mistakes. Uh, I did the classic one yesterday where I thought my daughter was being a little loud for the day. And so at one point she's yelling. And what do I do? I yell at her, stop yelling. <laughs> it's like, then like 10 minutes later, I have to go to and say, you know what? I shouldn't have yelled back at you. And yeah, we talked it out. Yeah. Well, I hope this was a helpful discussion and I thank the two of you for reading along in a book with me. Um, I'm going to close with a quote that I found in another article that we'll provide a link to from the Gottman Institute. And it's talking about breaking the helicopter parent habit. It says, try letting your children discover themselves, their weaknesses, strengths, their goals, and dreams. You can help them succeed, but you should also let them fail. Teach them how to try again. Learning what failure means, how it feels, and how to bounce back is an important part of becoming independent in our world. Thanks for listening to the Whatcom Dads podcast, and thanks to our sponsor, Robinson and Cole Attorneys. Don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast app. And while you're at it, check us out on Facebook at the Whatcom Dads podcast or Shoot us an email. Tell us what you think at Podcast at gmail.com. Hey, guys, instead of jokes this week, I thought we could all list some things that Northwest dads like. For instance, trucker hats from a local brewery. <laughs> Northwest dads love the smell of freshly cut grass. Northwest dads. Love Frisbee golf. (laughs) Northwest dads like shredding it at Galbraith Mountain. Northwest dads, hopefully, like podcasts.